You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is the Legendary Moments pregame show, brought to you by Budweiser. There's a drive deep left field, way back, way back, and there she goes! Budweiser, legendary lager for legendary moments in athletics history. Please drink responsibly. Yes, it is the Legendary Moments pregame show. Chris Townsend alongside the voice of summer, the voice of your Oakland athletics, Ken Korak. As we're getting you ready for the 1974 World Series, we now move on to Game 3. So the first two played in Los Angeles. Of course, we had the A's winning Game 1 the other night here on A's cast. Game 2 would go to the Dodgers down at Dodger Stadium. And Ken, welcome back to the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. Yeah, on a Tuesday night. Chris, and as you said, the A's had lost the second game, and this is another of the games that was 3-2. to two. It's still startling to look back and think that in a five-game series, four of the games were 3-2. So even though the A's won the series four games to one, it was a tougher series than that. And the A's have Catfish Hunter on the mound in this game against the Dodger left-hander Al Downing. Uh, they used to call him Gentleman Al. Uh, spent many years pitching for the Yankees, made the all-star team in the American League, and 67 and actually pitched about half a season for the A's in 1970. The Yankees had dealt him to the athletics, pitched pretty well for the A's. And then in June of 70, the A's traded Al Downing to uh, the Brewers. And then he winds up uh, pitching for the Dodgers the next year. Yeah, the, the names in this World Series, we're going to hear from Steve Garvey here in just, in just moments. He was the National League MVP in 1974. And you look at their infield of the Penguin, Ron Say, you got Russell, Lopes up the middle, Jaeger behind the dish. Uh, in this game, Bill Buckner's going to go yard. Willie Crawford will hit a home run for the Dodgers, but still the A's would win 3-2 to two as both those home runs in the eighth and the ninth were solo shots. That's right. And then we were talking the other day, of course, we Fawcett and I were doing the game, the side-by-side game about Joe Ferguson playing right field in game one for the Dodgers. He made that great throw when he cut in front of uh, the toy cannon, Jimmy Wynn, and threw out Bando at the plate. Well, Ferguson is catching in this game today. Crawford is playing in right field. Joe Ferguson makes two errors, and that was a big factor as the A scored a couple of unearned runs off Al Downing. We're also going to hear from Billy North, who Billy, playing for the A's, would later go on and play for the Dodgers and play with the Dodgers in 1978 in the World Series against the Yankees. And uh, he he told us the other day on A's Cast Live how nobody liked the Dodgers back then. And we're also going to hear from the great Buster Olney because he grew up a Dodger fan. He liked the Dodgers and said how the A's broke his heart in 1974. So we're going to have Garvey, North, and Olney for you. Well, when you win three straight World Series, Chris, you're going to break a lot of hearts, right? You know, <laughs> friends around Cincinnati and New York and down in L.A. And for Steve Garvey, you know, he mentioned, and I'm not sure if you have this actual cut, but Garvey mentions how really the A's were the experienced team mm-hmm. and have been there and done that. 
the Dodgers still were young, and it was really before they would have their time as you'd head into the late 70s and the early 80s. Yeah, let's hear that cut from Garvey talking about his memories of those days. You don't always look at 74 when you talk about that that stretch of about 10 years there with the, uh, you know, with our, what I call the golden era, when our infield com- came together in the middle of 73 and then going through the world championship in 81 even the next year we we just missed out but because that was really you know we were just coming together a group of young guys versus a group of mature experienced players in the a's it was really a separation of experience versus kind of a uh young and the restless type of situation and then you start to get in and take take a look at the uh the 74 series in itself and if you look at it you go my can't believe that there was four three to two games and one five to two how so few runs separated what could have been a couple of swings here or there from uh the dodgers winning it was really a great competitive world series it was and the dodgers lost three world series in the 70s chris you know the one to the a's in 74 then they lost in 77 and 78 before they break through or they, they broke through and won the series in 81 Yeah, Reggie Jackson broke uh, the Dodgers' hearts, not only in Oakland, but he did it also for the the New York Yankees. Yeah, he hit like eight home runs in one game, didn't he? (laughs) Hit the the three at Yankee Stadium in that one game. Every first pitch, see you later. I mean, yeah, that was – and and finally the Dodgers would get their one World Series with that group against the Yankees, but a lot of heartbreak, a lot of heartbreak for the Cincinnati Reds during that time. And I think Steve Garvey is right when we look back at the names – and we look at those teams because they got to stay together. You know, you look how long Joe Morgan and Johnny Bench and Pete Rose. You think of the great Orioles teams that the A's battled. They battled some terrific Tiger teams. Look at this great A's team and how long they were actually able to stay together. Could have been longer, but they had such a great stretch starting in 71. So many great teams and great names that stayed together, and it made for unbelievable competition. Well, there wasn't any free agency until Andy Messersmith was the first free agent. We had mentioned that the other day about how he played the 75 season without a contract. He challenged baseball's reserve clause along with Dave McNally. And then Messersmith signed with Atlanta for three years for a million dollars. But you just didn't have the player movement that uh, we have nowadays. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Reggie and back to Garvey. And I know you asked Garvey about his relationship over the years with Reggie Jackson. I was just thinking before the number of World Series that we played against each other, of course, starting in 74, and 77, 78, 81. You know, it was quite a kind of a golden sobrero, I guess, for the for the two of us. You know, we've always had great respect for each other. And, and I always tell people, of course, 77, he had that great final game with the three home runs. And then 81 was finally our year. And it's two out in the ninth inning at the Yankee Stadium. And I look up and it's 11:59, and you know it, you can sense that all those years uh, growing up as a kid, being the Yankees and Dodgers in the backyard with little uh, with little grapefruits and wiffle balls, and out of Florida, that this was finally going to be it. I remember he said to me, he "says Garb, it's your turn finally." He pats me on the behind. Next pitch goes to center, and uh, the world champions. So we had a lot of great memories. He was also a very good San Diego Padre, of course, as you remember, Chris, from growing up down there. 
Yeah, I got to see it firsthand. Uh, he still he's hit the biggest home run in Padre history in 1984 off Lee Smith. And that's when Garvey was an older veteran player and Nettles came over, uh, 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 San Diegan, and uh, it was a great time. They just ran into truly one of the great baseball teams of all time, the 19, uh, 1984 Detroit Tigers, who started out 35-5 and five and never looked back. And, boy, that team was absolutely stacked. Uh, you know, Gibson and Trammell and Whitaker and Hall of Famers, and you think of Jack Morris. So, uh, yeah, Garvey, I, 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 we, we went over his numbers, Ken. You talk about a guy that I believe still holds the record for most consecutive games played in the National League. I mean, obviously, Cal Ripken has the overall record. Uh, 200 hits six different times. Uh, you think about all the – he had huge numbers in the postseason. Always hit over 300. Hit for power in the postseason. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of surprised Steve Garvey – hasn't gotten into the Hall of Fame through the Veterans Committee. I'm glad you mentioned that because he was, in, in his postseason hitting, he was one of the great clutch hitters of his time. People nowadays don't necessarily believe in clutch hitting. I mean, it goes against some of the advanced metrics, but I, I believe in it, and I know you do too. And he, I guess you'd have to say he was one of the all-time goods. He was pretty close to being an all-time great. He didn't get a whole lot of notice as far as the Hall of Fame. I mean, there wasn't a lot of momentum for him to even come close to the, as far as the balloting from the writers and the 84 world series, we, we did the pregame shows before the 72 series, which was Dick Williams against Sparky Anderson. And the 84 series was Williams managing the Padres and Sparky managing the Tigers. And the guy that Garvey would also go on to face for quite a few years after this would be Raleigh fingers. And he knows how tough Raleigh fingers is Ken. Fingers pitched in this game. Remember that Catfish had pitched the last game of the championship series on the 9th of October against the Orioles. He has clinched a game. They won uh, best of five back then, three games to one. And so this game that we're going to hear, game three, is on the 15th. And it's the only start that Catfish would make in this World Series. And he went seven and a third. He allowed five hits in a run. He walked two and struck out four. Fingers comes on and goes inning in two-thirds Two hits, a run, no walks, and a strikeout. So you mentioned the home runs. Buckner's homer for the Dodgers in the eighth was against Hunter. Willie Crawford out of Fremont High in L.A. was a real young player back then, a left-hander. And his ninth in shot, of course, was off uh, Raleigh Fingers. And let, let's let, let's hear the Garvey talking about Raleigh Fingers because obviously he has a lot of respect for the guy who would be the World Series MVP, Ken. Do we have that, Commander? Well, you know, uh, obviously the end you know, justifies the means, and he's a, he's a great Hall of Famer who was uh, just consistently good during the time when, you know, relievers could possibly put, pitch two or three innings, you know, and I think the Goose Gossage a lot about that. You know, Raleigh would come in and kind of threw three quarters, you know, a little drop down sometimes, had that tough slider. He threw one that I think he int intentionally backed up, and then the good hard one, to a right-hander, you know, which was uh, usually low and away, which I, I couldn't, never gave up on those too much. I kept thinking I could hit it, you know, the other way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was a pitcher's pitcher, so to speak. He, uh, he thought the situation out, uh, executed through strikes. You know, that, back, back then, that was when guys went out to throw strikes, you know, and not uh, try to set you up with six or seven pitches. And, uh, again, tremendous amount of respect for him. Again, somebody who's been a, a good friend over the years, but 
really was the heart and soul of the A's during that time when uh, the closer was, uh, again, a, a, a guy from more innings. Yeah, he was tough. And it's, it's amazing. In the first game of the World Series, I know we talked about it on Thursday night, he threw four and a third innings. Came in the game in the fifth inning, goes four and a third. Holtzman goes four and a third. Raleigh goes four and a third. And then Catfish gets the last out. You know, obviously a Hall of Fame career, had a lot of great years. Go back. I mean, talk about aging like a fine wine. Go back and look at his numbers the year he won the MVP and Cy Young for the Brewers. Harvey Harvey's wall bangers. That year he had as an older pitcher, it's it's truly one of the great seasons ever by uh, by a player in Major League Baseball. And that was really a fun team to watch back then. I mean, aptly nicknamed as Harvey's Wallbangers because they had some guys who could really rake, and some of them kind of looked like they were they belonged on a slow pitch softball team. But they, <laughs> it was a fun ball club to watch. And two young future Hall of Famers and Paul Molitor and Robin Yao. Yeah, no doubt, a lot of talent there. Did not win the World Series, but they had a pretty good club. Yeah, and the other thing that we talked with Garvey about, but we'll move on from Garvey, is just, you know, it's amazing eight and a half years that infield that we talked about, say Russell, Lopes, and Garvey, they played together for eight and a half years. So you want to talk about knowing each other, knowing your tendencies, knowing strengths, knowing weaknesses, something you don't see a heck of a lot. That was truly one of the great infields in the history of baseball. Coming up next, we're going to hear from one of the top columnists in all of the game from ESPN, Buster Olney, and then Billy North, part of the 1974 World Championship team. We'll hear from them next right here on A's Cast as we get you ready for the 1974 World Series Game 3. Today's Swinging A's game is brought to you by Budweiser. Budweiser, legendary lager for legendary moments in athletics history. Please drink responsibly. This Bud's for the magic. The athletics. The Giants. In support for everyone affected by the ongoing pandemic, Budweiser created an emotional 60-second video that champions the best of the American spirit called One Team. The spot is a tribute honoring the everyday people of America who are rising above the call of duty to help in the wake of the COVID-19 health crisis. From doctors and nurses working tirelessly around the clock to grocery store clerks working in today's new normal, Bud's film reminds us that we are all one team and that America is at its best when its people come together to make an impact for their local communities. To watch the video and learn more about how you can help, go to Budweiser.com slash one team. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, president of the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. 
as the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African-American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact it to reduce the risk to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African-Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org. Here's the pitch to Mike Epstein. There's a drive, hit deep to right field, way back, way back, and it is gone! Home run, Epstein! 3-2 Oakland! This is the Legendary Moments pregame show, brought to you by Budweiser. That's right, Chris Townsend and Ken Korak getting you ready for Game 3 of the 1974 World Series. And just like we talked so much about in the 72 World Series, Every single game was pretty quick for what we now know in modern-day baseball where we have these marathon games because the game's just different with so many different pitchers and pitching changes. Game one went two hours and 43 minutes. Game two went two hours and 40. Game three, you'll hear tonight, two hours and 35. Game four, two two hours and 17 minutes. And then the final clincher, two hours and 23. Pretty quick games for uh, for postseason, Ken. Yeah, no doubt that the TV commercials weren't quite as long, like the breaks between innings, and then there weren't as many pitching changes. And, you know, I don't think that batters took as much time at the plate as they do now. And the other thing is, and, you know, you could go on and on about the differences in the game. I don't think you saw the working of the count. I think that there are more, there are deeper counts. Uh, the strikeout has been de emphasized now. You can strike out 150 times, and as long as you can hit 30 home runs and you're going to get paid, you're going to be a valuable player. But if you struck out 100 times during a season back then, Chris, that was really frowned upon. So, <laughs> so the, the, I think the counts are deeper now. But you look at a Tuesday night at the Coliseum, Game 3 of the World Series, 49,347 at the ballpark in the East Bay. And you, you, know, you mentioned Buster Olney, the great columnist, and reporter for ESPN has a good podcast. He had Sanders, uh, Sandy Alderson on recently. And he talked about how looking back on 72, 73 and 74, he wasn't really a great fan of those A's teams. In 73, I was rooting like crazy for the New York Mets who of course lost in seven games to Oakland. So you're basically ripping my heart out. You know, <laughs> me at eight, nine, 10 years old, uh, I was rooting hard against those Oakland teams. Uh, you know, the, the people, uh, you know, always remember Bill Buckner for the ball going between his legs in the 86 World Series. Me as a young Dodger fan, I remember him getting thrown out at third base after a perfect relay by the A's in a crucial moment to, for the first out in an inning. Um, you know, I, the Dodgers, of course, had a couple of nice moments. Mike Marshall picking off Herb Washington. Uh, you, you had uh, Joe Ferguson making an incredible throw to get Sal Bando out, but Man, those Oakland teams were so good, and it must be fun for you as uh, you know someone uh, with the A's to go back and watch those because, 
wow, those teams were dominant, and you talk about talent. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of Buster Olney, have we talked about his interview with Sandy? Uh, we did on Ace Cast Live, but I don't think we have we've done that. Are we referring to the Michael Jordan? Well, the fa- that was one thing that, and I know you talked about it and made headlines that that he had actually made overtures to Jordan's people that he wanted to sign Michael when Michael decided to play baseball and put him on the A's roster, not in the minor leagues, but on the 25-man roster when Sandy realized that it it looked like Michael was going to go to double A in the Sox system to Birmingham, which he did, and he played for Terry Francona there. But the other thing that I did not know, maybe it just slipped by me, maybe other people uh, knew this, and all the times that we spent, all the, the years we spent around Kurt Young, that before the earthquake, getting set for game three of the Bay Bridge series at, at Candlestick, Bob Welsh was the ace starting pitcher, but he had hurt himself. He had hurt his leg. And even though he was on the lineup card and that card had been delivered to the umpires, that Sandy said he was not going to pitch that game if they had played the game, that Kurt Young was going to start that game for the A's. And I never knew that. Yeah, I, I had no clue. And that would have, you know, because... I'll, I'll never forget Kurt Young telling the story. You know, he doesn't have pitching in the World Series. And you're thinking about the star pitchers that the A's have, and they want to take this group pitcher after game four. And it was Dave Stewart that said, wait, where's Kurt Young? He has to be a part of this. Because uh, we, we remember him. He was, a, he was a fine lefty. What a great guy. I know a golfing buddy for you, Kurt salt of the earth always to me all these years even now with the giants and he he's one of the great oakland a's i'm, gl- I'm glad you're bringing him up great guy yeah we spent a lot of time on the golf course <laughs> have to admit he was when i when we first started playing he was literally a zero handicap or a one i mean like a zero or one what's the difference he could really play i think he I think he has a job with like the padres now working in their minor league system have to double check i'm not sure padres are diamondbacks but he does he has a job, and, and which is good to, to hear because uh, he could he can help any organization with his knowledge of pitching and the way that he works with young pitchers. You know, you know, my view of the whole Jordan thing is obviously staying 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 with the Reinsdorf family. I have a feeling Jordan's smart enough that he's not going to go to a big league club right away when he hasn't played baseball in forever. Right. And, and get embarrassed on a nightly because he was kind of sheltered down there in double a you show up to a big league clubhouse. They're now following every single at bat. And if you're getting embarrassed by major league pitchers every single night, it's kind of tough to go on from being the best player on the planet, winning three straight NBA titles and then going completely utterly failing at the big league level. I think Jordan was smart about that. No question about that because he has pride. He knew he couldn't go straight to the big leagues, but Sandy was thinking that he had a ball club that year that wasn't going anywhere. And so you can put people in the seats. So, uh, but I think Michael made the right call. And I, I think we've, we've talked about this, but I was with the White Sox back then in the spring in Sarasota. And I'd sneak over to the backfields and watch Michael take batting practice. And as the year went on, he became a better player. I think eventually he would have played in the big leagues, but of course he uh, went back to the bulls and we'll find out more about that on ESPN tomorrow night, right? And everybody in the country has been watching the, uh, that story unfolding. The last dance, right? The story of the Bulls' last championship season. But the A's, the usual lineup, 
it was interesting looking at the lineup. The names are the same, but for this game three of the World Series in 74, Billy North was the leadoff hitter, Chris, and Campy batted second. And then you had Bando at third and Reggie in right, Rudy in left, tennis at first base, Ray Fossey catching, batting seventh, Dick Green batting eighth at second base, and, of course, Catfish on the mound. You know, we're not going to air game five, but can we please, Commander Cody, get the Ray Fossey home run from game five, and we'll play that uh, coming up here on Tuesday night. In that, I, cause I, gotta, I at least got to hear it because my man Ray Fossey goes deep in game five, and it's ball game over. It was a curveball from Don Sutton. Yeah, I know, because we're, we're doing the side-by-side broadcast, Chris, on Thursday night, and I've got to get on him a little bit because he tried to bunt with two strikes on a pitch from Andy Messersmith, which was about a foot and a half inside. He fouls it off, and he strikes out trying to bunt with two strikes. <laughs> now, obviously, the call came from the bench from Alvin Dark because there's no way that he would have done that on his own, right? Yeah, oh, and and when when you look at, at this series, and having talked to a couple of the Dodgers, they don't remember who was talking trash before the series, where basically they said if it wasn't Reggie Jackson could be in our lineup, nobody else could be. And we talked about that with Billy North, Billy North Ken. He truly remembers it, but they just don't remember who said it. Right. Yeah, Billy talks about that chirping before the series. Well, I don't know if it was a bad move or not, but I got a World Series ring on. It says 1974. <laughs> well, that's the way they were. Everybody hated the Dodgers in baseball until they played for them, of course, <laughs> and uh, because they were always a spoiled little rich kid. But, you know, the game is played on the field, not in the newspaper. I think it was probably 74, when you look at it, it was one of the most efficient World Series wins a team ever had. Four of the scores were three to two. We just played real well. And that was the story, really, of all three of the World Series for the A's. This was the only one that didn't go seven games, but you look at the two-to-one games, the one-nothing game, the three-two games, and that was the, that's the way the A's played, and boy, did it pay off. Yeah, you don't want to be putting bulletin board material out there uh, to a team that's won back-to-back World Series and has taken down the Big Red Machine and the New York Mets. I understand they were young and they were confident, but they should have showed more respect. I didn't know because obviously uh, I was just a baby at this point. I didn't realize in this era of baseball, everybody disliked the Dodger team. No, they didn't like them at all. No, that was pervasive around the game. And just what Billy North was saying, I mean, I guess they were perceived as arrogant or they were kind of full of themselves or whatever. But I watched the 74 World Series from a hospital in Goleta, California. So my memory is a little bit hazy of it. (laughs) I had a concussion that landed me in the hospital for a week. Anyway, they had Lopes leading off at second, Buckingham left, Jimmy Wynn, the toy cannon, center field, Garvey batting fourth at first, Willie Crawford in right field. Joe Ferguson catching, batting six. The Penguin, Ron Say, batting seventh and playing at third. Bill Russell at short. And Al Downing on the mound, the left-hander, the former Yankee. Pitched pitch parts of 17 seasons in the big leagues. Did you get that concussion from flying above the rim back in the day when you are dunking, playing hoop? <laughs> I could dunk a tennis ball. Anything bigger than that, I had no chance. No, I was playing in a 
did we talk about this the other last week we were playing i was playing in a co-ed softball game <laughs> i said i was going to school at santa barbara and it was a weekend and i forget what day it was but i was playing shortstop and i ran into the center fielder who was a football player the guy that was yeah. at six two and two thirty we banged heads and i said oh i'm fine i was no no big next thing i know i'm I'm four hours uh, before I woke up, and I was in a hospital in Goleta. I was literally, literally out for four hours. <laughs> yeah. hey, as a guy that had five playing high school football, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but this, this, this game right here, you win this game, and you now take the lead with two more games at home. I mean, just everything – I mean – you, you win a World Series against the Dodgers in five games, and Catfish only starts one. I know he got the save in game one, but it only starts one game. That's truly amazing. And you have Holtzman in blue, so you have pretty good guys coming in after him. And as great as Catfish was, those other guys deserve a lot of credit. I mean, Kenny Holtzman, 19 and 17 this year, won 20 games the previous year. We know how great Vida was. He was lights out when he was on, on his game, and so – that's one of the things that the A's, because Holtzman started all three first games of the World Series. So if you had a tough championship series, you had to use Catfish, as was the case here in the last game against the Orioles in Baltimore. You had Holtzman to start the first game, so there really wasn't that much of a drop-off there. All righty. Game three of the 1974 World Series coming your way. Don't forget, A's cast will be back on Monday. A's cast live from 1 to 4 o'clock. And then Tuesday night, Ken, you will be back with me. We'll be breaking down game four of the 1974 World Series. So, and that'll be our final game from the series. But you'll be back with me at 7.30 on Tuesday night. It's really been fun, Mal. And, and you know, thanks to Cody and Joey for their, their great work as well. So we'll see you on Tuesday. Well, one more point. The next three games, you're going to hear two of them. They're Monty Moore games. Right. That's right, because they're playing in Oakland. And so Vinny goes to radio and Monty goes to TV. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You have a wonderful Saturday evening, Ken. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. And once again, don't forget, on Monday, A's cast live 1 to 4. Just keeping you company during these times. Let's have a lot of fun. You can switch over to NBC Sports California and watch the game. A lot of you have probably never seen it. All coming up next, or you can stay here on A's cast. Have a great night, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.